bit about what some people have said about what he was like when he was a boy. Now, I'm getting this uh, particular one today from the Gnostic Society Library, uh, which I don't uh, encourage you to go to and look at and study because it's Gnosticism and we don't believe in that. But this uh, comes from there, and it's entitled this, The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And there's different texts from this. This is, if you care, it's taken from the Greek text, A. And here's a, a part of it. I'm not going to read it all to you this morning, but it says this. The stories of Thomas the Israelite, the philosopher, concerning the works of the childhood of the Lord. I, Thomas the Israelite, tell you, even all the brethren that are of the Gentiles, to make known unto you the works of the childhood of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and his mighty deeds, even all that he did when he was born in our land. Wherefore, uh, the beginning is this. And he goes on to say, This little child Jesus, when he was five years old, was playing in the ford of the brook. And he gathered together the waters that flowed from there into pools. And he made them straightway clean. And he commanded them with his word alone. And having made soft clay, he fashioned therefore twelve sparrows out of the clay. And it was on the Sabbath when he did these things, when he made them. And there were also many or other little children who were playing with him. There's a lot of uh, old English in here that I'm trying to avoid so we can get through this and understand it, okay? So if I stumble, that's what I'm doing. And a certain Jew, when he saw that what Jesus had done, that he was playing on the Sabbath day, departed straightway and told his father Joseph, Lo, your child is by the brook, and he has taken clay and fashioned twelve little birds, and he hath polluted the Sabbath day. And Joseph came to the place and saw, and he cried out to him, that is to Jesus, saying, Wherefore do you do these things on the Sabbath, which is not lawful to do? But Jesus clapped his hands together and cried out to the sparrows and told them, Go. And the sparrows took their flight, and they went away chirping. And when the Jews saw that, they were amazed, and they departed, and they told their chief men uh, that which they had seen Jesus do. But the son of Annas, the scribe, was standing there with Joseph, and he took a branch of a willow, and he dispersed the waters that Jesus had gathered together. And when Jesus saw what was done, he was wrathfully angry. And he said to him, O evil, ungodly, and foolish one, what hurt did these pools of water do to you? Behold, now also you will be withered like a tree, and you will not bear leaves, nor root, nor fruit. And straightway the lad withered up wholly, but Jesus departed and went to Joseph's house. But the parents of him said that the, of the little boy who was withered up, uh, they bewailed his youth and they brought him to Joseph and they accused him. For what have you brought a child like this which does these kinds of things? After that again he went throughout the village and the child ran and dashed against his shoulder. So there was a child running along and hit Jesus and hit him on the shoulder. And Jesus was provoked and he said to him, you shall not finish your course, meaning not go all the way. And immediately he fell down and died. But certain when they saw what it was done, whence was this young child born? For that very word of his mouth is accomplished as a work. And the parents of him that was dead came to Joseph and blamed him, saying, You have such a child that cannot dwell in this village with us. Or do you teach him not to, not to uh, curse, but only to bless? For he is killing our children. And Joseph called the young child apart and admonished him, saying, 
Wherefore do you do such things that these sufferings are happening and that they hate us and persecute us? But Jesus said, talking to Joseph, I know that these your words are not really yours. Nevertheless, for thy sake, I will hold my peace. But they will bear their punishment. And straightway, they that accused him were smitten with blindness. And they that saw it were sore afraid and perplexed and said concerning him that every word which he spake, whether it was good or bad, was a, de- was a deed and became a marvel. And when he, and there's a problem in the translation here, when he or they saw what Jesus had done, Joseph arose and took hold above his ear. He grabbed Jesus by the ear and wrung it sore. And the, and the young child was angry and said to him, it suffices you to seek and not to find, and verily you have done unwisely. Do you not know that I am yours? Vex me not. <laughs> all right, let's stop with that, right? Get a flavor of that? Does that sound like Jesus to you? Not at all. Here's this little guy running around the neighborhood, and he's withering people up, and he's touching people, and he's commanding their death, and he does it to the older people too. And finally, Joseph, to get him under control, goes up and grabs his ear and twists his ear so he get him under control, and, and Jesus gets angry at that. Now, I hope you understand that I don't believe any of that. I don't think it's true. Uh, neither did these people write anything that is true, and that is not even biblical, as a matter of fact. Uh, these writings, they talk about uh, Jesus that we don't know, and we know uh, that these things that Luke has are true about Jesus, and we can't agree with what this has because this means that Jesus was a naughty little boy and did things he shouldn't do, and that would mean Jesus isn't perfect, and that would mean he can't be the Son of God, and he can't be the Savior of the world. These were fabricated and made up, and there's lots of things like this about the boyhood of Jesus that we should not trust. What we should trust is what the Bible has written. So now let's talk about what we know to be true from the Gospel of Luke. And this takes us from the manger of Jesus Christ to when he was 12 years old. So I'd like to read that together with you in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 39. Now, Joseph and Mary had gone up, and they were worshiping at the temple. And this stuff happens after they'd been there, and this was when Jesus was 12 years old. So it says in verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord and returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth, the child continued to grow and became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now we talked a little bit last time about the fact that Mary had to go through a purification rite for having a baby boy, which is shorter than the one when you have a baby girl. And this purification rite had to be done at the temple. And if you, had, if you could afford a lamb, you would sacrifice the lamb for the purity and uh, for the sin offering. If you couldn't afford that, you could take a couple of pigeons or doves and do that. And so Joseph and Mary, not having much money, that's what they did. So this is shortly after he was born, verses 39 and 40. We find out then they go to Nazareth. Now what isn't told here, between verse 38 and 39, Luke doesn't mention even one word about the sojourn of the family when they had to go down into Egypt. Now Matthew talks about that, but Luke says nothing about it because he didn't feel it was important for what he was trying to do in getting across what he was getting across in Luke and the history that he did. So that Egyptian sojourn happened between verses 38 and 39. 
And then 39 is shortly after the birth of Jesus Christ. Now verse 41. He's back in, he's back in Galilee in Nazareth, and he's growing up. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, he went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, so they've been there for Passover and the feast of, of, of Passover. It has different names, and they're about to go home. So scholars disagree, but they've been there seven or eight days, uh, depending on how you count the Passover. So they went up to Jerusalem, as they did every year, and when he became 12, verse 42, they went up from, that according to the, from there according to the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan. So they would travel in groups when they went up to the feast. And here's this group going back to Nazareth up north, and they just thought Jesus is here somewhere. He's with everybody else, playing with the kids as we go along, whatever. But they supposed that he was going to be in the caravan. And they went one day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Back in verses 39 and 40, what we're going to learn there is that Jesus grew up in a family that cared about the things that God had commanded them to do. So he has a very special family because God placed him in a family where the family cares about God and they, cares about the, they care about the things that God said to do and they're making sure that they're where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there because of God. So in verse 39, Luke is here talking about the purification ritual of Mary, which would happen with every Jewish lady after she had a baby, and how it was handled by sacrifices of a burnt offering and a sin offering. Now, let's take the time to go back to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, and just get a peek at what, what it was that they were fulfilling. And this is what uh, the purification sacrifices would be in Leviticus 12, 8. But if she, in this case Mary, cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. And that's uh, the purification from the flow of her blood that would have happened during childbirth. And so they did that. Mary did what was recorded of them to do. And if you look back in Luke chapter 2, Verses 23 and 24, it says, uh, they, they present the Lord uh, Jesus at the temple. As is written in the law of the Lord, verse 23, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what he what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now my point is the family is interested in doing things God's way and making sure that it is done in God's way. Luke leaves out the sojourn in Egypt because it's not uh, going to be really important for what he is trying to get across to his audience. But we can read about that in Matthew 2, verses 13 and 15, where after the Magi left and they went away, an angel appears to Joseph and he says, Arise, get up and take the child to Egypt. And it says he did that right away in the middle of the night. So they take off when nobody's going to be able to see them. And they go on to Egypt, and they stay about two years down there until the angel says, Herod is dead, it's safe to come back, and so they went all the way back to Nazareth. And uh, that, that we know is true because Matthew tells us that. So the family returns to Nazareth, the town in which Jesus grew up in, in Galilee. And the text is careful to state that the family carried out everything that they were to do according to the law of Moses. They were what we call a devout family. A devout family is one that is dedicated, and so we can say devoted instead of devout. They They were devoted to doing what God wanted them to do. In verse 40, Jesus grew up strong. He increased in wisdom, and all the while the grace of God was upon him. Now, this is a common expression in the Bible, and it's used to indicate the presence of the Lord with a person about which it is said. If you want to look back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, this is about John the Baptist, and it says the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We're supposed to understand that the hand of God is on this young man, John the Baptist, and he's going to see to it that the ministry gets accomplished that God gave him because God is with him. And then clear back in 1 Samuel 3, 19. 1 Samuel 3, 19. About Samuel. And it says in chapter 3 and verse 19, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord, or Yahweh, was with him, and let none of his words fail. So when God is with a person all their life, God uses them in a mighty way, and he brings about his will in them. This is what's happening with Jesus Christ. He's not just another little boy. He's at least different in that God's hand is on him and God's strength is on him and leading him. So he grows up strong, and the Lord is with him. The presence of God is with this child for some purpose of serving God. He was filling up with wisdom, And the favor of God was on his life. So when you met Jesus, you knew there was something different about him. He had the favor of God. So uh, this rubbish, this trash that they read here that uh, we find in the infancy gospel of Thomas uh, may be about a naughty little boy that has a lot of power, but it's certainly not about Jesus. He was filling up with wisdom and with the favor of God. You can't fill with the favor of God if you're not doing the right things, if you're sinning. So that can't be true, what this person said about Jesus. Mind you, this is between age 3 and age 12 that we're talking about this whole time period. Jesus had to learn like any other boy. Uh, Jesus was schooled in things like mathematics and sciences of the day. He was taught how to be a carpenter 
and however else they, they chose to educate him. There is an absorption of knowledge in Jesus. He wasn't born knowing everything. He, he, went, to, uh, he went to the books. He went to school. Not, not like we go to school, but he went to school and he learned things. And he kept growing and increasing in his knowledge and his understanding of everything. In verses 41 to 42, the entire family was going up to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. The Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem three times every year uh, to worship Yahweh. And the first one is the Feast of the Passover, or sometimes called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Exodus 23:15 is where they are commanded to do that. The next one would be the first fruits, or what we call Pentecost, which lasted 50 days, that entire time period. Exodus 34, 22. I'm sorry, it came 50 days after the other one. I, I misspoke on that. And then the Feast of Booths, or uh, the feast where they would set up these temporary uh, little huts outside of Jerusalem and go to Jerusalem for the worship services. That's Leviticus 23, 34. You can look those up. Uh, I believe they're in your bulletin for you. In verse 41, what we know for certain is that the family never missed the Feast of Passover. They were always dedicated to that. And if you were going to walk from Nazareth down to, to, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem is where I want to say, it would be about 64 miles by foot. And that's how they would get there mostly is by foot. And it is estimated that for a young family, they could probably make 20 to 25 miles a day. That's moving right along. And so they're really traveling. In verse 42, when Jesus was 12, according to their habit, uh, they get in the habit of going to the worship services like you are in the habit at Sunday. That's what we do. Uh, they, they went uh, for the total of seven or eight days, however you uh, intend to count that feast. It's at least seven days, and they stayed there in Jerusalem. Luke makes a point to tell us that Jesus was 12 years old. And I think he did that because in the Jewish tradition, 12-year-old boys are entering into manhood, and it may be that Jesus believed since he was entering into manhood, it's time to be a man and to do what his father told him to do. It's time to get on with my ministry. Uh, that may be the case. He's already much aware of the mission that the father has given him, even as a young man. In verses 43 to 50, even at a young age, Jesus is already preparing for his ministry. I don't know what God's going to do with your kids or with the kids in the church. But I know that those who God has placed his hand on to do certain ministries, God is already working with them to develop what he wants them to have to be able to be what he's called them to be. In verse 43, the feast is over. The family heads back to Nazareth. So here we're facing 64 miles up north. It's going to take a while to get there, about four days. And it says they didn't cut the feast short. They stayed for the whole thing. Uh, when I was with the district as the director of theology and credentialing, one of the problems we had was at our district conference, uh, when we used to have it for three days, everybody left on day two. And day three, there was hardly anybody there. So they shortened it a great deal, hoping everybody would stay. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it seemed like the faithful of the faithful are the ones that stayed for the whole thing. Everybody else cut out early. I want you to know that Jesus was in a family who didn't think about cutting out early. They wanted to stay for the whole thing. Why? Because they wanted to please God, because they wanted to be where God wanted them to be. By the way, at the end of the age, when God destroys this earth and he creates a new heaven and a new earth, 
and Satan is released at the end of the age from the abyss, and he gathers the nations for war against the saints at the end of the millennial kingdom. It says fire came from heaven and burned up everybody outside the city. You know what that means? It means the faithful followers of Jesus in the millennium are at worship where they're supposed to be. And everybody on the outside is not at worship, and they should have been there, and they are slain by the fires of God. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get, you know, slain by the fires of God if you don't show up to church, but I'm saying, you know, it'd be a good place to be when Jesus comes back, wouldn't it? And not doing something else. God wants us here. He commands us to be here, and he commands us to worship together. And Joseph and Mary took that seriously, and I hope you do too. In verse 44, after one day's journey, Joseph and Mary, they start looking for Jesus. Uh, They had other children by now, and they suppose that he's just with other relatives. He's just playing and walking along with them. That's fine. Or maybe family, friends, and uh, that's what happened all the time with kids on this journey. So it's no big deal. And that night, uh, they started to look for Jesus. Now they knew that everybody would look out for their children. They knew that they would all be safe, so they didn't worry about Jesus all day. But now they're looking for him. It's time to, you know, bed down for the night, want our family together, and they can't find him. Now they're really concerned for his safety. Where is he? And the caravan wouldn't have been so big they couldn't have checked everybody, and they did. And people would have taken care of him if he was there, but he wasn't there. And uh, I think it would be easy to do, to walk off from the feast, all those thousands of people, and you think he's with somebody and he's not there. We've, we've gone one day, 20 or 25 miles. Think about that. And uh, people would uh, uh, sometimes leave their kids. I've had fun watching people leave their kids here as they drove out and, and went home. So just wait. Uh, sooner or later, they figure out we're missing somebody, and, and they come back and get them. That's fun. I also uh, reminds me, it reminds me of that Home uh, Alone Christmas movie, Home Alone. This big family leaves their little guy at home, and, of course, it's a fun program. Uh, but that can happen. I remember when I was little, my sister, by threat, of, by threat of death, told me that I couldn't tell. And what she had done was she wanted to spend time with a girlfriend at church. And so she snuck the girlfriend into our station wagon and put him in the floor pan behind the front seat. And she was all curled up there in a fetal position, not making a sound. My sister got in the car, put her legs over the top of her. And I was to say nothing. My little brother was to say nothing. Back then, we lived about 20 miles from church. We got about 18 miles home, and something happened, and Dad discovered there's a stowaway in the back, in the back seat here of the station wagon. And so the gig is up. We had to turn around and take her back. Uh, imagine what her parents were like. No cell phones in those days trying to find out what happened to her daughter because uh, she was at church, and now she's gone. Well, my sister kidnapped her. And they were going to play that afternoon. I don't know how she thought she was going to get back, but it can happen. In verse 45, imagine the joy uh, the parents had when they couldn't find their son. Is that, is that going to be your response? No way. <laughs> You're going to be scared to death. All right? You, you, we can't find the guy. Where is he? And uh, according to the text, I'm sure they went into panic mode. Have you ever misplaced your child and wondered where they were? You couldn't find them? Uh, when I was younger, I used to walk through Stapleton International Airport, and uh, back then, you know, just like today, there's kidnapping, you don't want to lose your little one, and they actually made harnesses for kids to wear that were hard to get off, and they had a leash tied to them, and the people are going through the airport, and this kid's on a leash, and I thought, that, that's a great idea, you know, for everywhere, and so nobody could get a hold of them because they had, had a leash, they could pull them right back in and knew where they were. 
Well, they've already gone about 20 or 25 miles out. That's a big deal. They had no choice but to leave the other kids with family and friends, get them home, and they have to retrace their steps and find out what happened to him. Now, I'm sure as parents, they could be thinking things like, man, we've come a long way. There are lions in the area. There are bears in the area. I wonder what happened to him. For a parent, that's a lot of time to worry. Now, maybe they high-stepped it back there and made better time because of this, but it's a long time to worry. And imagine, what could have happened to Jesus? Where is he? Verse 46, they then found him after a total of three days. Now, many think it was just one day back, one day to find him, and then one day uh, to go back to where they started. But it says, then, after three days. It says they returned to Jerusalem then. So I think we're looking at maybe at least four days. I could be wrong on that, but that's a lot of time to search a big city to find your child. Uh, And they were still upset about it. They finally found him in the temple, not where they expected him to be. There he was, sitting in the midst of the greatest teachers Israel had to offer, rabbis, teachers of others. And he was both listening to them and he was asking questions to them. And I'm just assuming that these teachers of the law gathered there every day and they taught every day, but their discussions were up here theologically. And here's this 12-year-old and he's asking questions of them. And the idea he's stumping them on some things. And nobody can believe, they're amazed at how he answers uh, when, when questions are posed. And what in, is in view here were the questions that he asked and he understood what they were talking about. All were amazed, it says. The word amazed there in verse 47. All who heard him were amazed. That word means they were astonished. And it can be astonishment with some fear. It is a state where something seems to be uh, a little uh, out of place or it makes no sense. And that's why they're amazed. This makes no sense. This kid's 12 years old and he's holding his own with Israel's best teachers. How can a young man do that? And then Joseph and Mary find him there. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And that's a different word than what we just had in verse 47. Joseph and Mary had two responses to what was going on with Jesus. First, they were astonished by what they heard and by the fact of where he was. The word here, astonished, means to be dumbfounded, amazed to the point of being absolutely overwhelmed at what their child is doing. It means literally to strike somebody out of their senses. They were dumbfounded. Then after a few days to worry, Mary wanted to know, why, Jesus, did you treat us this way? And if you're a parent, you can understand exactly why they were feeling the way they were and why they would ask such a question. Nobody expected that he would stay back at the convention, at the conference, at the feast. It probably didn't help a lot when he answered them, and it says they couldn't understand what he was saying. Second, Mary said, we are anxious. We were anxious. And that word is loaded. She says, I have, your father and I have been anxious looking for you. You can imagine, it's been days. You're trying to find your, your son or your daughter, and, and you can't find them. And you're going to have anxiety, a fear of the unknown. This is a strong word, meaning uh, it's used to describe somebody that's in agony over something, in distress, somebody that has deep emotional pain 
who is terribly worried. So Mary is saying, you know, you have no idea what you've done to us emotionally in these, in these last days. Well, Jesus in 49 and 50 is just kind of curious as to why are you looking for me? Seems obvious, doesn't it? You're 12. But to Jesus, he's ready to prepare for his ministry. No wonder he stayed in Jerusalem. He knew where he belonged. He knew where he should get trained. There is no hint as to how he survived homeless in the city. Probably he did it by faith. His answer to their question is simple. Didn't you know that it was necessary? The Greek word there is necessary. It must happen. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Jesus already knew, ultimately, where he belonged. They just didn't understand his answer. How could this be for a 12-year-old? One of Jesus' ministries in his ministry when he grows up will be to impart God's wisdom to God's people. Luke 21.15 is just an illustration of that principle. The Lord speaks to his disciples. He says, don't worry about what you should say beforehand when the authorities drag you in. He says, for I will give you an utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or to refute. Wow, that sounds just like what Jesus did uh, to the whole religious order of Israel. And then in verses 51 to 52, Jesus, very obedient to the authorities God placed over him, went home with his earthly parents, and he subjected himself to them. He submitted to them. He obeyed them. He did what he was told. And I don't know uh, that there would ever be anything you could imagine where Joseph would have to grab the little guy's ear and twist it to get him to comply. That's just not biblical. Jesus continued, it says, to be obedient to Joseph and Mary. Mary is treasuring these things as she has others in her heart. And Mary is gathering critical information about her son. She's trying to put the puzzle together. She's trying to pull together what Jesus is doing and who he is. I wonder if his mom and dad just ever sat him down at at the dinner table and said to him, Son, well, what is it that you think God is going to have you do? Would you explain that to us? We don't get any hint that that ever happened. But Jesus kept getting more wisdom as he gained more age. <clears throat> I wonder what it would have been like to have been a teaching priest or Levite back in the synagogue where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Can you imagine having him in church on the Sabbath? And uh, him asking questions, you know, probably during the sermon and the teaching. And uh, he's bewildering the guy who's in charge. Or even though they didn't have it in those days, how would you like to have Jesus in your Sunday school class? How would you like to try to handle that when he's asking questions and things like that? You know, you might be afraid to say, well, did you even study this passage before you brought it to us? What's going on here? I think it would be difficult, although he would be gracious. The birth of Jesus came about because of his mission. At 12 years old, he's fully engaged in training for that mission. He is there to do what God wants him to do, his father. His father sent him on that mission. And even from a young age, Jesus was already committed to doing what his father sent him to do, what he sent him to do. 
He sent him to rescue me. And he sent him to rescue you. To rescue you from the fires of hell. From eternal torment and punishment. Which is what we as sinners deserve. It's a rescue mission. His whole child was about gaining the wisdom and the knowledge of the Father from the Father's word so he could be effective in that rescue mission. A couple of things here. Number one, we love the story of the baby in a manger, and we should. God sent eternal life to us in him. The Bible is very clear. You will not be able to find salvation in any other person except Jesus Christ. There is no other way to heaven except you go through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to please the Father except if you believe in his Son. The exclusivity of salvation in the Bible is crystal clear. If it isn't through Jesus, it doesn't happen. Let's contemplate the life of Jesus, which was always about his mission. Everything was in preparation for his obedience to death, burial, and resurrection, and so the saving of humankind. I think you've probably all heard of a story about some folks who were caught in a flood, and the flood kept rising, the flood kept rising, and their chance to get out soon left. And so they were on the roof of their house, and the water started to come up around the roof, and they've been praying, Jesus, help us. They've already turned down uh, four or five people. Some people showed up in a boat and said, get in the boat and come with us. Save yourselves. No, we're trusting in Jesus. And God sent another boat and, and said, uh, they said, get in, get in. They said, no, we're going we're gonna to trust Jesus to, to rescue us from this. Then a helicopter came by, like the one on the screen, and they refused that, and they died, and they went to heaven. And they said, Jesus, why did you let us down? Why didn't you save us? And Jesus said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. Why didn't you take it? Why didn't you get on the boat? There is another boat, another helicopter, and it saves us from eternal death in hell. And it's described as death, even though you're conscious there. And all you have to do is accept it. Jesus isn't going to make you accept it. Jesus came because he loved you. Jesus came to save you. And I don't know everyone's heart, and I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but have you heard of him? Do you know who he really is? Do you know that he is both God and man 100%? That he lived a perfect life, not like what was represented in Thomas's writing, not like that at all, but a savior whose sacrifice could pay for the sins of the entire world. Do you know him? And by know him, have you ever humbled yourself and asked God to forgive you for your sin and say, Jesus, would you take up residence in my life and would you be my savior and believe that his blood paid for your sins on the cross? That's what it takes. There is no other way to get there. There's only one way and that's through Jesus, only one. Have you taken that way? Is he the savior of your soul? That's the whole issue. And if you haven't done that, all you have to do is just simply tell Jesus, you can tell him in your head right now, Jesus, I finally understand. I understand that you gave up your life for me. 
and I know that I cannot save myself, so today I'm trusting that your blood paid for all my sins on the cross. Would you come and live within me and be my Savior? And Jesus always says yes to that. If you've never done it, today's the day. I hope you'll make that decision. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we admit before you, this is such an incredible story, such an incredible account of what you did for us. And we are so humbled by it because we believe it. We believe that God the Son took on flesh, was born of a virgin, dwelt among us, because it has always been your desire from the days in the garden that you would be our God and we would be your people and that you, ever since the beginning of creation, have desired to walk with us, to be with us, and to love us. And we want to love you back. And I want to thank you for the gospel of, of your son, Jesus, our Father, that you made salvation something that could be attained because we couldn't do it ourselves. And I pray that there would be some soul searching. I pray that people would make sure they have made that decision because it is required of us that they have become a child of the living God. Thank you for making it attainable through the blood of your son. We thank you for the child in a manger. We too treasure up the things that you teach us. We look forward to the day when you will come back and take us to be with you forever. In the meantime, I pray that we would tell others about this baby boy. In your name we pray, amen.
familiar passage, uh, John 14, 6. He was here a minute ago. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to thank you for your son Jesus, uh, for his willingness uh, to go to the cross to die for our sins. We thank you for what uh, you've done through your son. Uh, may we be ministers of that gospel and uh, preach it to all that are around us. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.